If you've been enjoying the Panorama podcast, you can subscribe to it on your favorite podcast app. If you do, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Play. Reviews and subscriptions really do help. You can also support us directly at patreon.com slash Also, be sure to check out our YouTube channel for more great Panorao content. Don't forget to like and subscribe there as well. We're also on social media now. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Or you can subscribe to the Panorao newsletter at panorao.com to stay informed about all of our upcoming projects. And if you're a fan of good podcasts, check out the Fire Breathing Kittens. A word about them at the end of the episode. And now, on to the show. Welcome to the Panorama Podcast with Dr. Lupu. I'm Matt Lupu. Well, I know you're all tired of hearing me say that I'm very excited to be recording this episode of the podcast. But once again, I'm very excited to be recording this episode of the podcast. This marks our one-year anniversary of the Panorama Podcast. I can't believe we're still doing this after a year, number one. And number two... I'm honored and humbled that there are enough listeners out there that want to hear me continue doing this. If it wasn't for the support of regular listeners with your questions and comments, I certainly would have given up on this project a long time ago. While we're on the subject of thanking people, aside from thanking the listeners, I also want to extend my thanks to Lidio Heisey, Lidio and I did our master's together at Florida State University, and it was Lidio who came to me a year ago, and just as we were entering into our first round of lockdowns for COVID-19, with a crazy idea. He asked me if I was serious all those times that I had said, man, I need to start a podcast. I told him, yes, yes I was, and I suppose the rest is history. I also want to extend my thanks to Kate Prevel. Kate has grown into the role of chief audio engineer and general audio guru for the Panorama podcast. Not only does she edit and clean up my insane rambling, but she is also the author of the podcast theme song. Now that we've got thanks out of the way, I want to take a moment to think about the plague one year later. For those real hardcore fans of the Ponorao podcast, you'll remember that episode one was simply me rambling into a microphone about what kind of podcast I wanted to make. Whereas episode two was an examination of historical plagues. It seemed germane at the time, given that we were entering into our first round of lockdown for COVID-19, as I mentioned before. I wanted to see if looking at historical plagues could give us some perspective and maybe ease up the hysteria that we were facing at the time. I wasn't quite prepared for the response that the plague episode would get, 
although I suppose shame on me for not predicting it. Those people in my life who were fans of the policy that Donald Trump was pursuing at the time listened to my podcast and then proudly told me afterwards, you see, COVID-19 is not a big deal at all. Leave the man alone. Let him do his job. And then, of course, there were others who believed that COVID-19 was indeed a big deal and accused me of being a right-wing extremist. Meanwhile, I'm just trying to make a podcast about Thucydides. Well, and others. Galen. Anybody from the classical world, really. But Panarao is supposed to be about more than just the classical world. This project is supposed to represent a way whereby we can short-circuit the partisan divide. The way that public discourse seems to work right now, in my humble opinion, is that an issue is raised. Both sides of the political divide need to take a stance. If one side takes a stance first, the other side reflexively is against it. If the leader representing one side says something is good, the other side necessarily has to counter that it is in fact bad. By examining ancient history, I was hoping that we could take a more nuanced approach to the issues of the day. Take the plague, for example. It is a true statement to say that this plague, while unprecedented in modern times, is much, much more mild than the three examples that I gave in episode two. COVID-19 has killed 3.2 million people worldwide. That number is certainly an underestimate. But even if it was three times as high, and COVID-19 had killed 9 million people worldwide, that number represents 0.1% of the world's population. The plagues that we were talking about in episode 2 killed 50% and up of the various populations that they affected. It is factually correct to say that as far as pandemics go, the COVID-19 pandemic has been a mild one. That does not mean we shouldn't be taking precautions. Nor does it mean that you're safe if you get infected. For that 0.1% of the population, I would imagine their final thoughts were, I wish I didn't have COVID-19 right now. If somebody can do something to stop themselves from joining the ranks of that 0.1%, they probably should. I think it's also true to say that just like in the aftermath of the ancient plagues that we discussed, the aftermath of COVID-19 will have a profound impact on society. I, for one, am never going to an airport without a mask on again. I came to that conclusion about midway through the pandemic. There came a point where it was time for me to have my usual fall cold, and it simply never materialized. Then I thought to myself, 
If the precautions that I'm taking against COVID-19 also work to prevent the common cold, then why wouldn't I take them? Who wants to have a bout of cold or flu every cold and flu season? It doesn't make any sense. That position should have no bearing on the rest of my politics, nor should it yours. I suppose now that I've had a moment to reflect on the way that this podcast has turned out, it's safe to say that I want it to go further. I passionately believe that perspective is necessary when evaluating the world around us. It's not enough to have a command of the facts. Rather, one needs to compare the facts of their own time and space with similar situations that came before. This is what I like to call the gallery of bad ideas. I always viewed history in that way. Imagine walking into an art gallery. Now imagine that this art gallery only contained projects that were just like one that you were about to undertake. I don't know. Let's say that one day you decided you want to start building ships and bottles. Wouldn't it be helpful if you could walk into a building and look at a series of displays of how not to build ships in bottles. If every possible mistake had been preserved in the process of building a ship in a bottle, wouldn't it be profoundly interesting and useful for you as you undertook your ship in your bottle? In that way, we can compare the ways that cultures and civilizations thrive and struggle, compete and cooperate, change and evolve over time. When we view the classics, and when I say the classics, I mean the study of ancient language, history, culture, etc. But when we view the classics through that lens, don't they become indispensable? To put it another way, if you knew that you were going to train another generation of politicians, FBI agents, CIA agents, government officials, diplomats, etc. And whether you liked it or not, this future generation of officials and functionaries were going to step into their official roles, whether they knew how to do the job or didn't. Wouldn't you prefer it that they had as much information and training as possible? Perhaps an example is in order. Let's say for a moment that we were going to appoint a new ambassador to Russia. We have two candidates who have applied for the job. One is a major donor to the presidential campaign of the sitting president. This man has a background in frozen chicken production and sales. He's been a major donor to this politician because he's a major donor to every politician. He sees political donation as a cost of doing business. Now that he's donated 
a significant number of millions of dollars over the years, it's time for him to reap his reward. And that reward is to be appointed the ambassador to a foreign country. In this case, Russia. Our other candidate is a fluent Russian speaker. She's been studying Russian since she was 12 years old. That's because she's of Russian descent and understands the culture in a very intimate way. Once she mastered the language to perfect fluency, she expanded her education by studying the ancient history of Russia. She's written papers on the Kievan Rus, the Christianization of the Slavs, the old trade networks that used to lead down the Volga River going back to the 9th century AD. Naturally, she grew up in the Russian Orthodox Church and has a good understanding of how the Russian people feel about their relationship to Christianity. Not only does she have this kind of background, but she's also very conversant in recent Russian history. She grew up with stories about Stalin's purges. She understands the importance that World War II plays in modern Russian culture. She regularly reads Russian news and periodicals. She has an excellent understanding of Vladimir Putin and his greater geopolitical aims. If all things were equal, wouldn't you want to pick candidate number two for the job? I know that we've strayed a little bit far afield from the subject of the plague, but have we really? In my capacity as a dentist over the last year, I've been confronted with patients who told me, in all seriousness, that COVID-19 is no different from seasonal flu. It was invented to make the president look bad. It's simultaneously not a very bad illness that isn't killing too many people, while also being a creation of the Chinese government. It both exists and is a lie simultaneously. And when you compare it to seasonal flu, well, there just is no comparison whatsoever. The long story short is, these patients of mine, walking around without masks, attending public gatherings, and generally taking the whole thing lightly, are not bad people. They're not stupid people. They're people who have been reading things on the internet. Well, now I'm a thing on the internet. And if I can reach those people by entertaining them, telling jokes, and giving a little extra insight into the ancient history of Western culture, well, then I guess I've done a good deed. I'm very excited for the year that we have in front of us. We have several different projects all cooking away simultaneously in the Ponorao pipeline. I hope very soon to increase the number of Ponorao episodes. Patreon supporters can look forward to exclusive content that will be coming out in the next couple of months. The longer that we work on this project, I think, the better it becomes. This past year, as terrible as it was in many ways, in others, has proved to be an incredible opportunity 
not only for me, but for the rest of the Panarao team. None of us are happy that COVID-19 happened, but we all recognize that in a way, we are uniquely privileged that it did. I want to end this episode by giving a little bit more information about the plague of Thucydides. If you'll remember, from all the way back in episode 2, the plague of Thucydides, also known as the plague of Athens, occurred during the second year of the Peloponnesian War, in about 429 BCE. At this point in Greek history, the Spartans were fighting the Athenians for control over the rest of the Greek city-states. Thucydides' account of the plague reminds me a lot of the early days of COVID-19, albeit much, much worse. I want to leave you with a little excerpt from a translation of Thucydides. It goes a little something like this. In the first days of summer, the Spartans and their allies, with two-thirds of their forces as before, invaded Attica under the command of Archidamus, son of Zeuxidamus, king of Sparta, and sat down and laid waste the country. Not many days after their arrival in Attica, the plague first began to show itself among the Athenians. It was said that it had broken out in many places previously in the neighborhood of Lemnos and elsewhere, but a pestilence of such extent and mortality was nowhere remembered. Neither were the physicians at first of any service, ignorant as they were of the proper way to treat it, but they died themselves the most thickly as they visited the sick most often. Nor did any human art succeed any better. Supplications in the temples, divinations, and so forth were found equally futile, till the overwhelming nature of the disaster at last put a stop to them altogether. It first began, it is said, in the parts of Ethiopia above Egypt, and thence descended into Egypt and Libya, into most of the king's country. Suddenly falling upon Athens, it first attacked the population in Piraeus, which was the occasion of their saying that the Peloponnesians had poisoned the reservoirs, there being as yet no wells there, and afterwards appeared in the upper city, when the deaths became much more frequent. As a rule, however, there was no ostensible cause, but people in good health were all of a sudden attacked by violent heats in the head and redness and inflammation in the eyes the inward parts such as the throat or tongue becoming bloody and emitting an unnatural and fetid breath. These symptoms were followed by sneezing and hoarseness, after which the pain soon reached the chest and produced a hard cough. When it fixed in the stomach, it upset it, and discharges of bile of every kind named by physicians ensued, accompanied by very great distress. In most cases, also, an ineffectual retching followed, producing violent spasms, which in some cases cease soon after, in others much later. The body, meanwhile, did not waste away so long as the distemper was at its height, but held out to a marvel against its ravages, so that when they succumbed, as in most cases, on the seventh or eighth day to the internal inflammation, they had still some strength in them. But if they passed this stage and the disease descended further into the bowels, producing a violent ulceration there accompanied by severe diarrhea, this brought on a weakness which was generally fatal. 
Yet it was with those who had recovered from the disease that the sick and the dying found most compassion. These knew what it was from experience, and had now no fear for themselves. For the same man was never attacked twice, never at least fatally, and such persons not only received the congratulations of others, but themselves also, in the elation of the moment, half entertained the vain hope that they were, for the future, safe from any disease whatsoever. If that doesn't describe the feeling that I had after I got my second round of the Moderna shot, then I don't know what else can. You've been listening to the Panorama Podcast with Dr. Lupu. I'm Matt Lupu. Thanks for listening. What is the world's population? It's 9 million. 9 billion. No, 7.879 billion. So 9 million is 1, 2, 3, 4. Hmm. How do I do this? 9 million divided by... Okay, hold on. Are you itching for a good story? Laughter among friends, maybe even a mystery or two? Well, you're in luck. Fire Breathing Kittens is a standalone Dungeons & Dragons podcast. Each episode is a separate three-hour-long story, like a movie for your ears, so you can listen to these adventures in any order you like. So join us on a real play D&D quest as we solve mysteries, attempt comedic banter, and enjoy friendship. Fire Breathing Kittens podcast. Fantasy action. Mystery. Mystery.